0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we can help and inspire more women to join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, and you're listening to us at our new time, 9 a.m. Eastern on Thursdays. Our phones are open at 1 844 Wharton, that's 844 942 7866, and we'd love to hear your voice. In fact, We're going to be talking today about just that, how to help you get your voice heard, especially at work. So give us a ring. That's 1-844-WARTON, 844-942-7866, and let us know. What's that problem that you're facing at work that you know warrants what some might call a difficult conversation? That thing that you wish you could talk about and fix, but you just don't know how to approach it? Whether it's asking your boss for that long-promised raise or confronting the office gossip about the lies they've been spreading about you. Today's guest is just the expert you need. So give us a ring, 1 844 Wharton. That's 844 942 7866. You can also email into Patty at businessradio at com and tell us what's that problem? What's that challenge? Who do you need to talk to? We're going to give you some help. So Lois Frankel is that expert. I just mentioned she's the author of the best-selling Nice Girls Don't books, including Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. She just released a new audiobook called Nice Girls Don't Speak Up or Stand Out, How to Make Your Voice Heard, Your Point Known, and Your Presence Felt. Let me tell you a little bit more about her before we begin. Lois is the president of corporate coaching and an expert in the field of leadership development for women. Her clients have included The Walt Disney Company, Warner Brothers, and Morgan Stanley. And she's appeared on The Today Show, CNN, National Public Radio, and here on Women at Work. She earned her doctorate in counseling psychology from the University of Southern California. And she's founded not one, but two nonprofit organizations, Most, Motivating Our Students Through Experience, and Bloom Again Foundation, sowing seeds of health and hope. So, Lois, welcome to Women at Work. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. <laughs> we're really delighted, Lois. Um, so I've got to start with a kind of um, fundamental question. In your books and the fact that even we introduce you by talking about the Nice Girls Don't series, um, why is being a nice girl a problem? Because you can't
0: be that nice little girl you were taught to be in childhood and expect to achieve your adult goals. Nice is necessary for success for both men and women, but it's not sufficient. You have to add um, other behaviors in order to balance the niceness.
1: So does that mean you have to be not nice or it's about how to be nice, but without being so agreeable?
0: Um, I would say it's more towards the latter. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely not the former. Um, it's really about learning how to tell people to go to health so they look forward to the trip. <laughs> I
2: because, love that.
0: <laughs> because that's what we expect of women. You know, we expect women to be likable. Um, and, and as I said, likability is a critical aspect of success. Uh, but you also have to be able to put some teeth into it when when necessary, to know when it's not necessary, when not to put a stamp on a steamroller, and how to make people walk away feeling okay about their interaction with you.
1: So that I want to explore that question of likability. I know that it's something that Everyone can be plagued with, but particularly women, and the concern that they won't be liked by colleagues or subordinates. Um, Do we always need to really be liked at work?
0: Uh, You know, that's a good question. I've never been asked that before, but but I'm going to say, yes, we always do need to be liked at work. Um, Now, some people aren't going to like us, even when we communicate in the best of all possible ways, and we can't help that. But I think it's important that that this whole notion of likability, um, it's more important to success than almost anything else. When you And it's in the workplace. It's also with political candidates. Yeah. And you can just kind of look around and see that the people who are most successful are the people who are the ones who, who pass what we call in my office the beer test. <laughs> Would you well, want to have a beer with them? You want to have a beer with them, <laughs> right? You know, I always know when someone comes in, and we have do have a joke about it, like, you know, did they pass the beer test? You know, and if, they, if not, if I don't want to sit down and have a cup of coffee or a beer with them, I always know I, w- I have my work cut out for me. Because um, pe- when people aren't likable, when they don't have that... That, that, that ingredient that's so, that, that you know when you see. Sometimes it's hard to instill it in people, but it's not impossible.
1: So really, it's not that um, we, ha- we don't need to be likable. It's that women face an additional challenge to remaining likable while asserting authority. Would that be a better way of putting it?
0: That's a better way of putting it, Laura. Thank you. You want to write a book for me? (laughs) Um, That's a a better way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That we live in a society where we, we really don't like women who communicate like men, and we don't like men who communicate like women usually. So it's not, this is not just a A woman's thing you know it's about we have stereotypes and expectations for how how women and men should communicate and when they veer from those um it creates this cognitive dissonance and i think it's hard for people then to put that in place and if i can just give you a quick example um you know you look at hillary clinton and bill clinton now, both ran for public office. Obviously, one won, one didn't. And, and you can argue, you know, well, she didn't win for, for all these other kinds of reasons, whether it was the Russians or it was being sabotaged. But, but, it, but if you compare the two of them, Bill Clinton has and had a very high likability quotient that Hillary just never had, at mm-hmm. least publicly.
1: Right. And and many of us have pondered, including us here on the show, that it's because we're not it's it's hard for people to like a woman who presents herself as strong and competent.
0: Um, It's hard if she presents herself as strong and competent and doesn't recognize the rules are different for her. I mean, when I watched Elizabeth Warren the other day on the stage um, on, in the debate mm-hmm. stage, just answer that question about, so did Bernie Sanders tell you that a woman could never be president? You know, what she did was she did a masterful job of contradicting him with some humor, with both humor and data. I mean, she looked around and she said, you know, of everybody on the stage, you know, 10 men lost elections. And the <laughs> only one who never lost one are me and Amy. And and in that process, she also supported the only other woman on the platform. So she's actually a good example of someone who communicates powerfully without being offensive.
1: And so that she can remain likable and strong at the same time.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what keeps her in the, um, you know, still
1: in the uh, campaign at this point. So when we're talking about communication at work for those of us that are not on the national debate stage, is it. what are all the places where it comes up? Is it, um, do we have to address it in how we address conflict one-to-one? Is it when we're public speaking? Does it also, does this carry over into our written communication?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so it's across the board.
0: When you think about it, um, you know, communication is really, and that's why I wrote this book with, or I should say recorded this book because it's only available in audio. Um, I recorded this book because I feel like communication is really at the core of everything we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've written other books, but I think it's important that we take a look at this, this one most critical aspect of what moves us forward or keeps us behind. It's in every single thing that we do. Every time we open our mouths, it's a presentation. Mm-hmm. And we need to prepare for every presentation. And so um, that's something I think people don't get. And that's true for both men and women.
1: Absolutely. Also, when you frame it as a presentation, that makes a lot of sense about the mindfulness that we should bring to it, or at least that's the first thing that I start to think about. Um, But also, it's not just one-way communication. Um, Part of what you wrote about so beautifully, and that seems essential to all this, that communication is a function that... um, creates our relationship dynamic with other people.
0: Um yes, and vice versa. Okay. The, the re, both and the relationship um dynamic really is created by the relationship too. Mhm. Um the, the fact is, is that when we are in a relationship with, with someone, uh, a positive relationship, but it could be warm, it could be collegial, it could be, it could be respectful, whatever kind of relationship. When we're in a positive relationship with someone, we tend to cut that person more slack, don't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's the halo <laughs> effect. When, right. when I hear I'm going to do an interview with Laura, it's, oh, great. <laughs> right? And back at you, Lois. Right, because, you know, it's like we've had a positive relationship in the past. There's other people, and thank you, by the way, <laughs> there's other people, you know, who I hear it, and it's like, ah, no. And so, so really, building these relationships is so important to effective communication because you want people to cut you slack. You want people to think the best of you, not the worst. You want someone to say, oh, you know what? Lois was just having a bad day, as opposed to, you know, Lois is really a bitch, right? <laughs> and that all comes from the relationship. So And by the way, excuse me one second and by the way, women are great at building relationships. We're bad at using them to our uh, advantage.
1: Right. And then that also brings, I think, what is the third prong in that dynamic of Lois is just having a bad day versus Lois is a bitch or your friend being able to say, Lois, you seem bitchy today. What's wrong? And that those are three different types of emotional reactions and forms of communicating.
0: Um, Yes, absolutely. And that that third one, um, Lois, you know, you seem bitchy today. What's wrong? (laughs) Now, that's really what, what we call a reflection, right? And I talk about this in the book. Um, it, it's a reflection about me taking a guess that there's something wrong or how do you feel. Or, and women are good at doing that, too, and they're afraid to do it often in the workplace when, in fact, it's a very powerful tool that lets people know you not only hear them, but you hear what they're not saying,
1: mm. So we're going to come back to that in a minute. But first, for those of you who just tuned in, you're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. And today I'm talking with Lois Frankel, business coach and author. And we're talking about her new audiobook, Nice Girls Don't Speak Up or Stand Out. Our phones are open at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And tell us, what are you struggling to communicate? Who do you need to reflect back to? In order to help them succeed or help improve your relationship we 'd love to hear from you your stories of success or where you need some advice. so give us a ring that 's one eight four four Wharton 844-942-7866. so I want to take half a step back and talk about Um, how we start to build relationships based on how we communicate. And what advice do you have, especially for those people who um, it's kind of nose to the grindstone, they're sitting at their desk, they're not networking, they're not out in the world, maybe they're a little nervous about getting out in the world. How do you approach building those new relationships?
0: Well, you know, it's different for everybody because it, all the things you just described are what I talk about. in Nice girls don't get the corner office, right? You're not going to get ahead by keeping your nose to the grindstone, staying in your office, working overtime, and making miracles. That's not how people <laughs> get ahead, <laughs> uh, right? So, Unfortunately, no, <laughs> right. Right, um, and we can look at and we can look at many examples of people who were um, uh, uh, who worked really hard, and probably in your own workplace, you see it. And they don't get ahead, whereas the people who have the most relationships in place do get ahead. And that's because when you need a relationship, it's already too late to build it. So to to answer your question, it depends on who you are. For example, I'm an extreme introvert, and nobody would ever really guess that. (laughs) and and i know you even laugh yeah everybody laughs when i say that but, but you know, i also laugh cuz i am too and look what oh, we're both doing oh, okay. right now i'm laughing at, i'm laughing too now right yeah but we understand that 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 you know in terms of the myers briggs type indicator the the introvert isn't um is not that they don't like people but it's that they get their energy by doing things alone which is why you do your work, why I write books. I mean, we can do this solitarily for hours, and we are energized by it. And then there are people who are energized by the interaction. So the people who are energized by the interaction, I say, you know, great, use this to your advantage. Go to networking association meetings. Um, make sure you join other people for lunch. Put groups of people together for lunch, you know, uh, with you. You know, all those things that sound appalling to you and me <laughs> for, <laughs> for extroverts, they really work. But now if you're an introvert, you can do it one relationship at a time. And I know that's what I do. I'm great uh, one-on-one. Um, that's really why, where I find my energy in relationship mm-hmm. building. Me Uh, My suggestion would be, and you probably do this too uh, as well, Laura. Um, My suggestion would be, so you make it a point of putting it on your calendar that you're going to have lunch with one person a week. That's all you have to do, one person a week. Something else you can do, put it on your calendar once a day. You're going to do a drive-by. And when I call it drive-by, it's like a doorway conversation. I put it on my calendar. Once a day at a certain time, I get up, which isn't bad for you anyway. It's right. for your health. <laughs> um, and I stop in someone's doorway, and I have a informal conversation. So it might be, um, Laura, I understand that you're a really good gourmet cook, and my mother-in-law is coming for dinner. I'm wondering if you can suggest any recipes that would be Simple, but have a wow factor. Something as simple as that builds relationships. Or it's the conversation walking to your car. Now, nowadays, with so so many people working virtually, it can also be a little bit harder, Mm -hmm. especially for leaders who lead um, remote teams or virtual teams. You still have to do the exact same thing. You need to pick up the phone and not just email and say, Laura, I was just thinking about you, and I was wondering how that project is going with XYZ. It doesn't have to take a lot of your time. In fact... The best interactions of these kinds are very short. So there's
1: a couple of things in this that I want to unpack. So one is that it sounds like with each of these um, forms of outreach, part of what you're doing is also you're not going to them to say, can I tell you a story or can I do something for you? You're reaching out to them to get them to talk, to learn something about them. Is that a a fair
0: observation? It's a fair observation, absolutely, that, you know, that I find – Um, building relationships is a combination of finding common ground, right? Particularly if I'm in a a social situation, I mean, I can do it. You and I can both be in a cocktail party and be very charming, I'm sure. It's just that it takes energy for us. Um, And then we'd like to go home and watch TV or read a book. (laughs) Right, or I like going to the
1: cocktail party and talking to one really interesting person for a long time
0: which is really hard, and I talk about that in the book. What do you do when you get a bore at a cocktail party? But we can go back to that. Um, but, but for um, finding common ground with people, everyone loves to talk about themselves. You don't have to talk about yourself. You're right. You know, all you have to do is ask somebody, what do you do? Where do you live? Where'd you grow up? Um, did you see that movie? You know, whatever. Get people talking about themselves, Right. Um, match their body language. If they're leaning into you, you lean into them. If they're leaning back, lean back. You know, if they're talking about something that is particularly um, impactful to them, exhibit empathy. So there's ways in which, there's very simple ways in which you build these relationships and you convey the message, I care about you. You know, w- when people say, who mentored me or, you know, who do I admire, they're often surprised that one of the people I most admire is Mary Kay Ash, the founder of Mary Kay Cosmetics. Why? A a couple of reasons. Thank you for asking why. See, that was (laughs) very good. I love to talk about myself. Um, (laughs) um, First of all, she was a great leader, um, and she did something nobody thought she could. She decided she wanted to build a business um, where women could be financially independent and um, God could come first family could come second, and work would come third. Now, what man do you know built a billion-dollar business off of work coming third in the lives of his employees? <laughs> Not one is coming to mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't think of one. So that's one reason. Another reason is um, she really believed in the power of relationships. One of her favorite sayings was, you treat everyone as if they have a sign-on that says, make me feel important. Oh, wow. Yeah. And a, thir- and a third reason that why I really like her is that, uh, or, or liked her, obviously, she's not alive anymore, is that she walked the talk. There's a story about she was in Washington uh, for a meeting with uh, some of her representatives, and uh, Ronald Reagan invited her to the White House for dinner. And she turned him down. She said, you know, I'm really here to be with this group of employees, and as much as I appreciate the invitation, I'm going to have to decline. That's courage. Well, uh, and, and clarity. Now, uh, now you know why I love Mary K.S. <laughs>
1: Um, I can see why you love her. I'm going to go look up her, more about her because now I'm a little enchanted. Um, by the way, we have a call. So for those of you who want to get on the phones, you can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And um, Mila's calling from Connecticut. Mila, thanks for listening to Women at Work. What's on your mind?
2: Hi. Thanks for having me. This is my favorite station, and um, this topic really resonates with me because it's, um, you know, my husband and I uh, were working parents, and um, you know we very much see eye to eye on a lot of things when it comes to like leadership and work-life balance and things like that. Um, but you know, an area that I typically find myself, is, you know, sometimes he'll give me advice about how to communicate or how to influence um, you know certain situations and you know a lot of times i feel like while his advice is super sound um, and makes sense and it's logical and it's probably the right thing to do a lot of times i feel like you know he has that perspective because he's a man and he's you know uh, you know, I, I guess a white man, right? Whereas <laughs> I'm a female, I'm a woman of color, you know, I'm a mom. You know, When he says something, it's perceived one way. When I say the same exact thing, it's perceived a completely different way. And, you know, I've tried to educate him on this topic, and he understands. But, you know, we just frequently get to that place, and I wonder, you know, a lot of times I'm like, oh, well, I should just take his advice and stop, you know, holding myself back or, like, tripping over myself. Um, but then sometimes I'm like, unfortunately, the world is not receptive to, to that foolishness, you know? And so I'm wondering, you know, what kind of advice do you give me as far as balancing that out and, um, you know, and, and finding my way amidst all of these perceived challenges?
0: Lois, what do you think? Uh, I think that she is absolutely right, that as a woman of color um, and just as a woman, the rules are different. As a matter of fact, I can say things that she can't say. and not Because if she says the same thing, I say in my most assertive way, she's going to get called an angry black woman. right? I may get called a bitch, but she's got that additional element of race there. So she's absolutely right that... Um, and and I, I I appreciate that her husband is giving her this advice, you know, out of love. How wonderful is that? Um, and I think she should listen to it and take the kernel that's true. Because women cannot communicate like men and get away with it. There are different rules for how Caucasian women communicate, black women communicate, Latinos communicate. And so she should take the um, the, the, the advice, and take the kernel of truth out of it, that that if he's saying, hey, you really need to, to approach this and let them know you don't like what's happening, yes, you need to do that. But you need to do it differently than he would. So, for example, in the book, um, in uh, Nice Girls Don't Speak Up or Stand Out, Um, I have something that's called the desk D-E-S-C. And it's one way in which you can have a difficult conversation and not damage a relationship. And, Laura, I don't know if we have time for me to to demonstrate that with you. We absolutely do. And, Mila, I hope
1: you're going to find this helpful because I think it may be just what you need.
0: Yeah, 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 I think it is. So let's just say... um, Laura, that we're we're in um, meetings together, and there's something I want to talk about you. Now, the D stands for, so listen, listen for what I'm doing, because the D stands for describe um, why I want to talk to you. E stands for explain my position and elicit yours. That's where the listening comes in. Mm-hmm. The S stands for specify what I want, and the C stands for create consequences. So it would be like this. Um, Laura, I'd like to talk to you about something that happens in meetings. What I've noticed is that whenever I start to speak, you pick up your phone or you pick up your tablet and you start fussing around with it, and it really makes me feel as if what I have to say isn't important. And I'm wondering how you see the situation, Laura. So it's you're doing several things there. You're
1: being, you're... Letting the person know that you're going to introduce um, a topic that concerns you. You're explaining your position. But also, I caught that the way that you're presenting it, you didn't say you don't respect me. You said it makes me feel like you don't respect me. You Correct. used eye I messaging. Didn't
0: it, I didn't give any you messages. And now, Laura, I want you to answer me as if you really were um, a coworker, and don't make it easy for me.
1: Um, Lois, I I don't know why you're bringing this up. Um, I'm simply making sure that I'm up to date with the work that's going on in the room. I'm listening
0: to you. Uh, Laura, I appreciate what you're saying. And I agree with you that we all need to keep up with what's being said in the world. At the same time, it would be really helpful to me if when I speak... You actually comment on what I'm saying and you add to it because we have a complementarity of strengths that when we put them together, one plus one is exponentially more than two. And I think if you can do that for me and I do it for you, we would really um, not only make an unbeatable team and add value to our organization, but we'd be modeling the way for other women.
1: Lois, what if I don't agree with you? Are you okay if when we're in those meetings, I do give you feedback, but I don't agree with you? That would be
0: okay with me, yes. If you don't agree with me, I want to hear that. Um, Now, what would be most helpful to me if you don't agree with me is to say why and to present an alternative or to say which part of what I've said you don't agree with. Because the fact is, is that there's often pieces that you may say, I like this, but I don't like this. And that kind of thoughtful response and debate often brings us to a different level that's very valuable. Okay, Lois, as long as you're good with that, I'm on board. Thank you so much. I really
1: appreciate it. My pleasure. So, Mila, was that helpful for you?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think um, I'm excited to hear about these books because I'm definitely going to read them. Um, My background is um, Hispanic, and in our culture, you know, we're raised to be nice people and very, you know, courtesy and politeness is at the forefront. And I think, you know, in this new world, we kind of have to revisit that a little bit. And, um, you know, because a lot of times I personally find myself in a position where people take me being nice or me being polite as a sign of weakness. And so I've recognized that and I recognize that I have to rethink the way that I communicate um, because I want to be a good leader and I want to pave the way for the women of the future and <laughs> women of color, etc. So I appreciate the guy, the work that you are you both are doing um, and I'm looking forward to keep calling in the word and then keep listening and um, please get some good tips for
1: folks. Please do, Mila. We're thrilled that you called in and we believe in you. Um, Solos, as you were Talking to us in the first half hour about the, this, this kind of balance that we have to strike, where we need to be remain likable. In fact, all of us want to be likable. We want to like the people that we work with. But to do it without having it undermine our ability to self-advocate and our authority. Um, one of the things that you wrote about was executive presence. Could you talk to us a little bit about what is executive presence, how do we develop it, and how does it factor into
0: how we communicate? Yes, and I should say I borrowed heavily from um, Sylvia Hewlett on executive presence. She wrote a wonderful book uh, called Executive Presence um, that and talked about how it's kind of the the unseen factor in success. And executive presence, as she describes it, is the um, are the ways in which we the non-technical ways in which we communicate our ability to lead and that's important to remember it's the non-technical ways because many times people who are technically proficient um... think that well you know i'm ready to be promoted because i have all this technical ability but in fact, they're not seen as having um, executive capabilities. And when it comes to executive presence, there's a couple of things that go into it. One is obviously communication. Um, one is gravitas, right, the, the degree to which we communicate in ways that people stop and believe us. Do we, are we able to speak truth to power? Are we able to um, put te- show teeth when we communicate? Right. There's a number of things that we do that 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 telegraphs uh, our ability to be strong leaders, and that's really what executive presence is all about. You know, there's another model that shows that your that your credibility and I, and I think yeah that your credibility, uh, and your ability to lead and your executive presence can be divided into three things. It's what you It's what you say, right? It's how you look, and it's how you sound. Mm. And that's putting it even more simply. Okay, It's what you say, how you look, and how you sound. Now, you may not realize it, but only 10% of your credibility comes from what you say. I know.
1: It's just kind of crushing to us who work so hard to say the right thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, and... And like another 50% comes from uh, how you sound and about 40% from how you look. And people always say to me, but that's not fair. I mean, that's (laughs) not right. That's so shallow. Um, And I always say, hey, look, don't send me letters. I don't make the rules. I just report them, (laughs) right? Um, But but if you think about it, it's so true, this look and sound of leadership, this look and sound of success that at some point in your career – it's going to be a given that you know what you're talking about. Absolutely. And you're sitting at a table with other people who know what they're talking about. So what is going to distinguish you from them? It's going to be how, how you look, how you're sitting at the table, where you're sitting at the table, when it, when you communicate. I mean, one of the most simple things I say to women, but I've also, I've also said this to men too, is that when you're in a meeting always be among the first two or three people to speak. Mm. Early speakers are seen as more self-confident than later speakers. And remember, speaking doesn't mean you always give your opinion. Speaking can be, I ask for your opinion. I comment or support what you have to say. I ask a question. I invite other people to speak. What's really important is that your presence is known in the room. And if you don't Sit at the table, and if you don't speak, you are not in the room. And I say sit at the table because women do something that really irks me. And I'm sure you've seen this mm-hmm. happen, Laura. You go into a conference room. There's there's chairs around the conference table. There's chairs around the periphery. And you know that the room is going to be filled to capacity. A woman will take a chair on the periphery to leave the chairs at the table for the more important people.
1: Right, and forgetting that you need to present yourself as one of the important people. Lois, I want to take a pause on this for a second because there's a voice I'd like to bring in the room. And that's Leanne, who's calling in from North Carolina. And by the way, if you're out there listening and you're not Leanne and you want to dial in, you can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So Leanne, thank you for listening and thank you for calling in. What's on your mind? Oh,
3: thank you so much. I think this conversation is, really important for women in in business today. I am a former executive with uh, Disney, and I just thought it might be helpful to share my experience of being a woman in the room at the table and um, among my peers primarily who now Disney does have a lot of female um, executives at different ranks. But often, you know, we're still the minority by far. So, um, you know, I think one question I have or just experience maybe, I don't know if it's a question or if it's just to get your input and have you weigh in, but my experience is that when I was at the table, I I was in that role for a reason. Clearly, as you're saying, you you know something. There's a reason why you're hired to that level. However... Um, as a female at the table, it's fascinating to me when you say it's what you say, it's how you say it, and it's how you look. There were, I led an important area, and there were many times where I had to influence the organization. And it's a very, uh, yes, can-do culture, and yet when you're influencing and guiding, then if our tone is soft, or even, like you're saying, the words you say are important, but you're trying to get them to take action and to move or to to buy into a a new approach, they perceive you, if you're too strong, as being negative. And I will um, actually share, I was in a room one time where literally... My senior leader, who was the senior vice president of the company, after I made my observation, my comment, he said, well, now that Lan is off the table with the whip, let's move on to this point. So it was whether you interpret that to be a sexist comment mm-hmm. or um, whether you interpret that to be they just didn't know how to handle a strong woman. a strong voice a strong point of view because when we do speak and i spoke no differently than any man in the room no you know with less conviction or passion or too soft um clearly i had something that i felt needed to be conveyed and in the end you know we i feel proud and we we did a great job we accomplished a lot of things my team was very successful um and we did some some great work but it was it was like that often and if you push back you're perceived as being negative and you there's always the yes and yes but well have we thought about this and asking questions and probing it's just a dynamic in the room whether you're at the table or you're or you're female who is sitting behind and observing what's happening to another female executive it's it is baffling and it is um really unnerving
1: of course (laughs) it is Try to
3: influence cultural change i don't it's a lot of it i think is the culture of an organization perhaps but i'd love to have your insight on, on what you think about my experience what i just shared
1: yeah it definitely resonates with me lois how would you um help to make sense out of this and where do you think are the the things that we can learn from
0: it oh there's so much to learn from this um leanne thanks for calling in you know i live in los angeles and so the entertainment, uh, you know, entertainment companies are part of my clients. And, and I hate to say this, but, you know, there's a reason why the joke in the community is that um, Disney is often called mauschwitz, right? Yeah. That they can chew that. you <laughs> up and spit you out. And Leanne, it sounds like that was your experience. Yes, I mean,
3: definitely. It's funny you say that because once I left the company, I was there for a good long 12 years. Um, and, and moved around quite a bit uh, across the coast, and even worked internationally. And um, I heard that, oh, you worked at Nestle. And, and as an insider, it never would have occurred to me. But but yes, I'd say that that's true. I don't know if that's any less true of other corporations today. That um, you know, in intellectual property of your human resources are. Um, somewhat of a commodity. (laughs)
0: Uh, uh,
3: yeah. yeah, Yeah,
0: you're absolutely right. And because you said so many things, I'm just going to interrupt you for a second because I want to get to at least three of the things that you said, and I'm going to put my coaching cap on for a second because this may be helpful to other leaders. Um, when you said you got the feedback and part you use the word culture, and that is an important part of how you communicate, because you have to communicate um, in a way that is appropriate for your culture. Um, in Disney, or a, a more um, a aggressive and B creative environment, you have to create you have to communicate more aggressively and creatively, right There's other organizations I go to that are much more conservative, and you can 't get away with the same thing. You can get away with an entertainment. What we call eccentric in entertainment would would be called just bad behavior in another company. So culture is important. you need to consider that. Something else you talked about was this comment that was made to you about you know now that you can get off the table with your whip. I would not have let that just go by because I'm sure it made you feel awful. And you can use more humor and that's one thing I'd like to see women do more of because it can diffuse the situation. You can take your power back and in a situation like that you you might have said you know you could have said something like a whip you think that's the whip? You know, wait till I really get it out, or or something like that. You could say anything to diffuse it, or you know. But use more humor. That's something that women can do. Something else. Um, you said something about you were being described as negative. Well, we're described as negative when we don't offer solutions. You know, in um, uh, Nice Girls Don't Speak Up um, or Stand Out, I really talk about the fact that you need to start every disagreement, almost every disagreement, with yes and, right? So um, do you think this is a good idea? Yeah, I think it's a good idea, and I think we could make it even better if we were to do X, Y, Z. Now I'm not seen as negative, I'm seen as a problem solver, because, you know, as, you know, somebody asking if you think it's a good idea is a little bit like saying, does this dress make me look fat, right? There's no good <laughs> answer to that. You, you know, you've got to answer, um, yes, and I think we could make it better, and let me give you some ideas. And, and I think that's just one way to counter the, the negativity. And then there's one more thing that I want to say, and that is, and I'm going to put my coaching cap on now. Because if we have a saying in coaching, if three people say you're drunk, lie down, right? So if you consistently get feedback that you're negative or you're overly aggressive, and this would be true for men and for women, um, you need to look at that feedback and say, what do I have to do about this? Okay, so it could be that you are unintentionally Um, telegraphing negativity when all you're really doing is being analytical and being a problem solver and it just means you need to communicate it differently So, um, so in kind of unpacking what you said Those were just a few of the things. There was much more in there, Leanne, but those were some of the few things I I came up with. Oh, and one other thought, and that is making sure that your style and your values are appropriate for the culture. Um, I'll never forget, I was doing a keynote at Northrop Grumman one time, and I was talking about how you communicate has to fit the culture. And this woman raised her hand, and she said, Dad explains everything. She said, I used to work at, um, I think she said Warner Brothers, and I could be as creative as I wanted. And I came here, and all of a sudden, I was seen as someone who was kind of weird and far out. So you you need to make sure you communicate um, using the rules of the culture, but you also have to make sure – You're comfortable with the culture and and it shares your values because if it doesn't, life's too short to be in an organization that does not reflect your values.
1: Yeah, Lois, and I'd also like to add to that, Leanne, the fact that you toughed it out for as long as you did and are able to come out at the (laughs) tail end of the story proud of the work you did is a real testimony to you.
3: Thank you <laughs> so thank you thank you, you so know, I guess sure just one other um, thought or observation while definitely everything that you guys have have um, said is I find very accurate and true in my situation it, it's interesting to me how you know I wanted to be a female leader in the organization who could help to change some of that culture and be because it is Fairly intense. I wanted to support more work-life balance and things like that. And as as a female who, um, you know, you, you don't you don't really have that option when you're, it, no matter what level you are, if you aspire to be um, ambitious, then you're, you're you wear the company hat. But I will say that, um, and that was a choice, you know, that I made to go ahead and do that. And I think mm-hmm. that's why I was there for that long. But what I will say is that, ironically, some of the toughest uh, leaders that I had were female. And they they were so much in that male dominated culture, I think they over exacerbated being tough and hard. And so I wanted to try to balance that, and it was a challenge. Um, my hardest just the, the very most challenging boss that I had, supervisor that I had, what was a female. And, of course, it was a man who said, now let's not you know, get off the table with a whip. <laughs> and I loved your suggestion about humor, and I think that's so important. Um, and that's just brilliant, and it's something that we definitely <laughs> need to think about, work on how to be witty and how to be quick-minded Absolutely. in those situations. So, but females, how do you address having a female leader who is just,
1: Yeah, so Leanne, I have to tell you, um, a big part of what you're talking about is at the heart of why what it takes to how complex it is to create a diverse culture in the workplace, and how these biases and these habits are not just the province of one gender. Um, for those of you who just tuned in, this is Women at Work, and I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. I'm talking with author and career coach Lois Frankel about her audio book, "Nice Girls Don't Speak Up or Stand Out: How to Make Your Voice Heard, Your Point Known, and Your Presence Felt." Leanne just called in from North Carolina. And Leanne, thank you so much for calling in. And for listening, if anyone else would like to, to share your stories, ask your questions, we'd love to have your voice heard here on Women at Work. And you can reach us at one 844 Wharton That's 844-942-7866. So Lois, this is a big topic of um, the tension that comes, the challenge that comes from women who are also exhibiting some of these biases in the workplace. I know it's a big topic, but what can we do with how we communicate to start to address some of that?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because um, uh, what goes along with this is often the question I'm asked, don't you think women are each other's worst enemies? You know, like they'll treat women worse than they'll treat um, men, especially if they're leaders. And I always say, I don't think it's true. No, I don't either. Uh, I think that what what happens, and again, we go back to that cognitive dissonance, right? When a woman acts like a man, it creates cognitive dissonance, and we don't like it. And we notice it. And I have had just as many brutal, uh, I've had more brutal male bosses or clients (laughs) than I've ever had female, So so I actually don't think there's as many out there. It's just that we notice them more. That's number one. Number two, when when you're when you have a brutal boss, and I don't care if it's a male or a female, first of all, you have to understand he or she who has the gold sets the rules. You're not going to change the boss. You can ask for what you need to be more effective, and then he or she can either give it to you or not. And if they don't, you don't have many options. You know, one is you know, let's just say you've got kids and bills to pay, and it's a great paying job. You wait them out. Okay, or you transfer within the same company, or if it really is so bad that it's diminishing your self-confidence, then you really do have to look for another job. And, and there are other places where you can go. But to think that you're going to change the boss or you're going to change someone like that, you're not going to change them. The most you can do is ask for what you want. And a lot of times people will say, well, no, you know what? I think you're being overly sensitive about it. And no, I'm not going to do it. Just kind of like what you did in that role play with me. And I don't have to argue with you. I don't have to get into a spitting match with you. I just have to acknowledge that I hear you and say, Well, okay, I, I kind of let you know what I want. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, one should tell people what they want, even if they disagree with you. Um, you've put them on notice and you'll see their behavior change. And certainly you'll feel better about yourself. Did I answer that question, Laura? I just
1: want to make sure. (laughs) I think you did. And it leads me to a kind of inverse question that I have for you. So you've given us a lot of really wonderful advice about tactics and strategies that we can take and given us some frameworks for how we can think about the importance of communication and how we're approaching it. We are not only communicating on our own behalf, we are also charged with the responsibility of being good listeners. And part of the stories that we heard today were of people who were surrounded by others who didn't know how to listen sensitively. What advice could you give us For when we're on that other side, whether it's that we're perceiving the assertive woman as um, being overly challenging um, for the men who are listening, who want to make sure that they're really hearing what the women have to say and removing their own biases. Is there any advice you can give us about what to do with the emotions that bubble up inside of
0: us? Yeah, there absolutely are, and one of the things that um, that I talk about in many of my books is that, is that plexiglass shield, is that when you feel that kind of tension coming at you, you have to protect yourself from it. So just first of all, it's very simple. You just picture a plexiglass shield going up around you so that you can see out, people can see in, but none of that venom reaches you. mm The next thing is, you know, there's a saying in football, you drop back five and punt, which I really, I don't like football, so I don't really know what it means, (laughs) but I think most men know what it means. You drop back five and punt. I say you drop back five and listen. Okay. Okay. Which is when you feel as if you're being attacked, you're either going to do, you're going to do one of two things. It's going to be flight or fight, right? You're going to get into the fight mode and you're going to attack back or you're going to acquiesce. And neither is really helpful to the situation. So what you're going to do instead is you're going to add this phrase to your um, repertoire of communication, which is, tell me more. Okay. Right? It doesn't mean I agree with you. It doesn't mean, you know, that I think you're right. It's simply, tell me more. Tell me more about how you see it. Tell me more about what it would look like if I was doing it in a way that you would prefer. Tell me more about um, how, you see, how you see me having um, made mistakes on this project. Because the tell me more lets the other person empty their glass. And yep. once their glass is emptied, you know, some of the, the negative energy that's in that glass just dissipates. It's and so... That's what you- wanted to do.
1: It's so true that you're telegraphing that you want to hear more and you're positioning yourself to listen. And Lois, it has been a joy to listen to you today and to have you join the conversation. Thank you so much for being with us.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. So if people want to find you, where can they find more? They can find more on my website, drloisfrankel.com and also on the website, um, there's a tab that says new book. And if you're a okay. listener, if your listeners go in and they buy the book and they just contact me through my website, I'll send them a free companion workbook.
1: That's fantastic, Lois. Thank you. And many special thanks to my beloved producer, Patty Hall, our amazing sound engineer, Dion Simpkins. I'm Laura Sarrow, and you've been listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.